fucking knew it. I fucking knew it the whole time. Nailed it. The Crocs ate well that day, my friend. Get your finger off that. Cherokee. Welcome back to uh, the Renaissance yeah. episode 76. Just, At the end of our last episode, yeah. uh, Cherokee boy, we um, <laughs> saw a failed conspiracy against Piero di Medici by some of the rich white guys right. in Florence, former friends of the family, Acciuoli, Neroni, Sotorini, and Pitti. Three of those, Achuoli, Neroni, and Sotorini, were sent into exile. Two of them, Soda Pop and Neroni, right. went directly to the Doge in Venice and convinced him to attack Florence. And so he sent right. Don Corleone, his number one uh, condottieri, the most feared yes. military leader in all of Italy with an army of 8,000 cavalry and 6,000 foot soldiers to attack Florence. What? Is Piero going to do this time, Ray? Yeah, well, I mean, how many options does he have and how many times has he avoided death? But anyway, so he hears about this, and as you can imagine, he sends messages to Ferrante of Naples and Galeazzo in Milan, and he goes, quick, no shit, send me as many troops as you possibly can as fast as you can. But as we all know, if you have a military structure, you need a leader. You have to have one person making a decision to have an effective army. So he makes uh, the mercenary general Federico da Montefertro the commander of his Florentine army. So he's got a little army. He's asking for more troops to be come to come his way. He's got a commander and this guy is 45 years old. He knows what he is doing. He is the Lord of the small city state Urbino, South of uh, Romagna. And he is supposedly the second greatest military man next to Lionheart. In fact, he married Swartz's daughter, Baptista. So you have two giants going against each other who learned from the same master. And they both got pretty well. One of them's, one of them's got a big army. One's about to have a big army. And they are going to meet in the field of battle. Yeah. So they, they actually do line up in the hills and valleys of Romagna. But Montefeltro is trying to avoid yes. giving battle with Corleone until he could get some support from the armies of Ferrante of Naples and Galeazzo from Milan. And it works. He, he sort of delays right. until these armies arrive. They're soon joined by uh, the, uh, the, the forces of the Duke of Calabria, comes with their force from Naples, and Montefeltro manages to corner Corleone of Venice, gets him, gets him trapped in an unfavourable position and is about to strike. Yes. But before he can... Like Cobra Kai. Galeazzo... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> strike first, strike hard. No mercy. Yeah. Before he can do that, yeah. Galeazzo 
like uh, Daniel uh, Caruso uh, gives mercy and allows the enemy forces right. to escape. Oh, Why? Dang. Why would Galeazzo, rapey, rapey, limb terror, <laughs> right. allow the enemy to escape, Ray? Well, the, the Signoria was asking the same fucking question, except for they were yelling it. We had this massive troop that could end everything in Florence strapped. You're about to give them the old heave-ho, and you let them get away. So uh, Signora, Signora is asking questions. Now, Montefeltro says, you know what? If you're asking me, I honestly think that Galeazzo, who is a Sforza after all, is not willing to take orders from one of his father's former junior officers. I think it was pride. I think it was ego. And we had the sons of bitches and he let them go. So the Senora, I think personally taking a page uh, page from a, uh, uh, Cosimo's book, instead of freaking out, instead of saying, oh my God, you are a betrayer to us. We no longer want you an ally or saying or doing anything stupid. They do a little bit of slide of hand. So the Senora, Senoria um, invites Galeazzo back to Florence and they're like, well, considering the situation now, not that we're pointing fingers or assessing blame or anything like that, but what do you, oh, great military leader, think we should do next? The point is, Galeazzo leaves the front and he heads to Florence. Yeah, we're not pointing fingers, <laughs> but uh, There's one. we are. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can't piss this guy off because he might rape you or rip you in part. So you got you to be delicate with this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not pointing fingers, but I am. I'm holding it up with my penis, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it's pointing at you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, while he's away, Galeazzo in Florence, Montefeltro manages to attack Corleone, um, has him pinned down again. Yes. This time, night falls. They're forced to fight by the light of flares. Montefeltro's forces have the upper hand, but Colleone manages to make a retreat and goes back to Venice. Yes. So yet again, the attack on Florence has failed. <sighs> Within a year, Thank God. Venice and Florence had signed an enduring peace treaty. Yeah. So Piero has managed to create stability once again. Yet again, the conspiracy against him. Like, they yeah. think this guy is weak. No. They think he's uh, he doesn't have what it takes. Yeah, cojones. Turns out yeah. he's got brass balls. <laughs> That's what it takes to sell real estate, and he's got them. Uh, big balls, big balls. Yeah. Piero de' Medici's got them. Uh, meanwhile... While all this is going on, he continues to commission works of art for the city, buys ancient manuscripts and coins to mm. add to his father's collection in the Medici Library, and he manages a commercial coup which saves the Medici finances from the collapse, all of the unpaid loans and the bankruptcies that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. And this commercial coup has to do with alum, 
We've talked about alum before, Ray, but why don't you refresh people's memories what alum is? Sure. So, yeah, so Piero has had his, his political success, he's had his military success, and now it's time for an economic success. So for a Gaudi guy, his guy he's doing pretty good. So alum is um, a mineral salt from the volcanic d- deposits, and it's used to fix vivid dyes on cloth. Now, that might not sound sexy to you, but if you're Florence and one of the major industries in your town is cloth or textiles, this stuff is absolutely vital to you. And so, again, it's just one of those things you're kind of stuck with using it, where it comes from, the amounts that, that are at hand. But the point is Florence and other towns that deal in uh, textile and cloth certainly need this, and it's going to become a huge opportunity for the Medici's. We, I think... I don't know about you, Cam, but I've been stunned by some of the amounts that we've been talking about since we've been talking about the Medici's. But we're about to double down again and come up with even a more incredible amount of wealth that this family is going to have run through their fingers. So, yes, as you said, uh, alum was very important in making dyes for cloth. They were essential to the textile business in Florence. And the supply of it, for many, many years had come from Smyrna, which had been controlled by the Genoese, but they lost it in 1455 to the Turks, the Ottomans. Mm. And the Christians had been forced to continue to buy it (laughs) from the Turks. It's embarrassing. So they were... They were giving the Ottomans, their enemies, right. 300,000 pieces of gold a year. What were they doing with that gold? Which <laughs> the Turks would then use to fight the Christians. Now, call me crazy, call me stupid, Ray, but I would just live without well, fucking dye yeah, on your clothes right. for a few let's years. Let's all wear whatever color nature says and let's quit giving our enemy money to buy more war materials and fuck us up. So what do you say? Ready? Break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, people then, as now, were stupid and short sighted. Right. And uh, they're like, well, look, we know the Ottomans are bad. Don't get us wrong. But. but uh, you gotta have flashy. I, I need clothes. that. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah. need my clothes, man. Yeah. Like, uh, I know that supporting uh, capitalism and industrialism right. and, uh, and shopping is. is, is <laughs> destroying the world because of its effect on climate change and we're all going to die, but I still need my shit, so I'm sorry. Now, Tim is colorblind, so he's on board, but the rest of us aren't, and I have to have fancy clothes. So, yeah, let's give give the Turks our money. Tim, I don't. I just, came, I just came up with the name. I just figured if everybody was colorblind, if God had struck everybody oh. down and made them colorblind, that might have helped. Mm. But right, no. mm. yeah. Mm. Then in 1462, a new source of alum was discovered Thank at a place God. called Tolfa, right? Just a few miles inland on the, the west coast of Italy, uh, and it was part of the Papal States. Thank God. So Pope. Pius II immediately <laughs> claimed the entire supply of alum in Christendom That's for up. himself and yeah. threatened to punish anyone who bought alum from the Turks with instant excommunication. <laughs> but- Barry and Stan special, this one. It's like, listen... He, he, they were sitting around late one night. Right. Uh, Pope, had, Pope had just raped a few <laughs> little boys. He's, he's exhausted. He's sitting there. 
drinking his wine, and he says, look, what are we going to do with this alum? Yeah. Like, we've got it, but uh, yeah, we've got startup costs, yes. that kind of thing. Uh, the Turks the Turks are undercutting us. They're man. running. Like, uh, they're up and running. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're up and running. People just love their alum better than my alum, and I, uh, they've got better refineries. They package Their packaging is great, these little white boxes. Oh, so that go. When you take the lid off the box, it goes... <laughs> It's beautiful, oh, like just... Uh, the family gathers like, around to open up a box. Yeah, the box, yeah. in many ways, is more beautiful than the alum that comes <laughs> inside of it. It's all about packaging. Uh, you don't want to throw the boxes right. out. Because, right. yeah, well, the boxes are, they're, are a work of art. They, they've really got their shit down. They're stores, they're alum stores. As soon as you walk in, they, yeah. you're greeted. Yeah. They, yeah. They give you a Turks basket. have got this shit down. Right. They, no. yeah. Barry and Stan had to think about it, and they said, well, just tell people... <laughs> That uh, if they don't buy right. your alum... Hear me out. Going to hell. <laughs> Going to hell. I thought you went to hell for sinning, but I guess if the Pope says buying Turkish alum is a sin, then it's a fucking sin, right? He's the Pope. They said, what, what about the Jews? He said... Oh, love the Jews. But... Going to hell. <laughs> Barry and Stan, of course, were Jews. They were like, <laughs> oh, my God, fuck me. <laughs> and then they made a bit of a Jesus joke. They went, nailed it. And you know, that didn't go down well with the Pope. Because the Pope. I'm not really into jabby jabby. <laughs> uh, which was a nails joke, a crucifixion joke. Anyway, uh, he said, listen. You're not making any friends here. <laughs> Uh, they they were like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I was thinking white people. Sorry, I feel bad now. That's why they call me the Jew Hammer. Anyway. <laughs> oh, hey, P.S. I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it the whole time. I fucked your wife. Yeah. What? I fucked your wife. Yeah. How did he do it? Probably did it with his dick. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh. That that was going on. <gasps> Barry and Stan came up with the idea yeah. that if you buy alum right. from the Turks, you're going to hell. Yeah. Pope right. said, fuck, that's, <laughs> yeah, I wish I could get that on all my contracts. Um, <laughs> well, you can. All indulgences right. from that point on that were sold for the pardoning of sins specifically mentioned, they were invalid for anyone who even used imported Turkish oh. alum. So you could you could be Galeazzo of Milan, right? Rapey, rapey, tearing people <laughs> limb from limb, yeah. raping children. You could do the most heinous of crimes right. daily, including yeah. you know listening to uh, country music, <laughs> and you could get an indulgence Boom. for that. That would get Dime. you off on anything. Dime. You could rape a woman. Then make a husband watch, then pull out his eyeballs right. and fuck him <laughs> in the eye holes. You could get an indulgence for that. I'm sure you could have one right But, up. yes. If you bought or used Turkish alum, no. sorry, right you were out. fucked. You were well and truly fucked going to hell. Right, right out. Now, this posed a theological problem, Ray. Oh. Explain the. Th- you're, you're a yeah. former Catholic. Yeah, 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 Explain yeah. the theological problem with. Uh, alum. Well, it turns out, believe it or not, that monopoly trading, not unlike usury, is forbidden by church laws. So 
the theologians, their experts have to get together in the papal court and they're like, you know what? The Pope wants this. We have to make it happen. Fortunately, the papal court has the best lawyers there are, Jerry, the best lawyers. And they get these lawyers working on this problem. I want to point out that raping children is not covered in church law, apparently, no. but monopoly trading. Yeah, yeah. they got that. Well, they got that. Sort. Priorities, my friend. So they got Barry and Stan in uh, to come up with a way. He goes, well, right. listen, thanks for coming back right. in, Barry, Stan. A bunch um, of Jews. Really appreciate right. what you did with the whole going to oh, hell thing it. and the indulgence wow. thing. Fucking great. Yeah. Like, brilliant. Worth, worth every cent <laughs> that uh, we pay right. you. Now, um, <clears throat> got a, here's the next problem. Conundrum. Apparently, <laughs> some fucking nerd down in the legal department. Some clerk. Uh Trevor, I think his name is. <laughs> didn't, he be, didn't he used to be part of your firm? Weren't you Barry Stan and Trevor originally? Yeah, uh, well, we, we got rid of Trevor. Yeah. First thing we well, did, he's, it was a triumvirate, and then we right. uh, got rid of Trevor and made it a diumvirate. Yeah. Uh, he's fucking, yeah, because this is the kind of shit that he pulls. <laughs> but, like, no one asked right. you to go and look into it's the like, uh, nitty-gritty the, of the legalities of this, Trevor. If you hadn't pulled right. this fucking yeah, obscure piece fine. of... Churchill, no one would have right. known. But I got a no memo. one can read. Right. No, <laughs> no one, one wants to read. Yeah, and he distributed it in triplicate, right. CC'd everyone, <laughs> posted it on the walls of the city. In the lunchroom. Uh, right. Oh, fucking Trevor, man. <laughs> what? I hope he goes to hell. I think we should give him to Galeazzo, yeah. quite frankly. I think uh, he deserves a bit of well, Galeazzoing. <laughs> anyway, so it was against church law to have a monopoly. Fortunately, Barry and Stan found a loophole. Oh, thank God. They said, well, listen, look, we've given this some thought. Right. Um, right. I don't smoke. Monopolies are bad, but in terms of Jesus, if you ask Jesus what's worse, right. having a monopoly or supporting infidels Ooh. To, to kill Christians. Point. And uh, Pope Pius said, well, shit, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Let me, let me, let me get him on the phone. So he, he called Jesus, right, on the uh, on the bat Hotline, line. Right. He had right. a he had a red phone on his desk <laughs> under, with a, a uh, cake, case. right? Yeah, cake a cake <laughs> protector over. He took the cake protector off, pressed the button. Uh, you know, red phone goes off in uh, Jesus's right. mansion. Uh, his his right. butler answered it. I'll Jeez. get him right away, sir. He says, "Yeah, yeah this is." <laughs> goes and goes against Jesus. Yeah, Jesus says, uh, Pope Pius, yes, because <laughs> uh, oh, very good, Jesus. Listen, Jesus, um, I have a question. Barry and Stan are here. Jesus goes, hey, tell him I said what's up. <laughs> he says what's up. And Barry and Stan are like, oh, <laughs> big J, hey, Jesus, <laughs> what's what's up? Up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesus says, "Yeah, I still owe those guys. When you know, my mum got uh, my mum was fucking around with uh, Russell Crowe, oh, and I, you, those guys came up with the thing oh, that it was a virgin birth. Oh, I owe them big it, time. That, that was that was the best. Uh, anyway, so anyway, anything, anything for Barry and Stan, Popey, Pope Pius, Popeye, 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 anything you want, Popeye." What <laughs> Oh, I have a headache. <laughs> anyway, what's up, Popeye? 
This is gold. <laughs> uh, what do you want, Popeye? Uh, by the way. Oh, mentally retarded. <laughs> Popeye, what do you want? He goes, well, listen, uh, Barry and Stan are wondering, what's worse in your book, right. Jesus? Uh, Monopoly trade, Jesus. Like, oh, yeah, I hate Fuck that. It. hate Monopoly trade. Well, except when it comes to religion. I want to have. I want to be the only religion. Good point. And that's why I got Theodosius to ban all the other religions. Right. Um, I want to be the only religion. That's the only monopoly. That's allowed. That, uh, that's allowed. Yeah. Every other monopoly, don't like it. I like competition. I like uh, people bribing me. Yeah. Uh, that's what prayer is, essentially. Bling, bling. Prayer was set up for to see who can bribe me the most to get what they want. Yeah. Um, if there's monopolies, no one needs to pray to me. And, you know, what am I going to do right. if people aren't trying to bribe me all day long to, to grant them favours? Please, Jesus, let my child not die of cancer. I mean, yeah. I, I live on that. Like, I, I could cure him. I gave him cancer in the first place. I'm God. No, if I wanted to, I could, I could cure him of cancer yeah. like that. Don't even have to click my fingers. Oh. Just have to think about Boom. clicking my fingers. Done. Don't even have to think of it. Just have to think about, think about, <laughs> thinking about clicking my fingers. A, a pre-think. Cancer's gone. In fact, right, right. I could. <laughs> I don't know what that is. A pre-think. I just have to pre. I could wipe out all of cancer. The plague. Gone. Gone. Rape never happened but, again. Uh, anyway. Then what? Uh, then there's not, not so much begging. Right. I like the begging. Yeah. I like the begging. I like the bribing. It does it for me. You know, if you, if, if like, what I love is when people say, "If you cure my kid of cancer, I will never <laughs> sin again." And then I just watch them. Then I do it. Then I just watch. Then them. I do it. Then they sin again. Right. Oh, I fucking love that. <laughs> then I've got them over a barrel because <laughs> I know they're going to sin because I make everything happen and I know the future. Yeah. So I know what's going to happen. I made them that way. Did, I love it. They're did, fucking with their heads. Did, I just love getting in there. They're fucking with their heads. Did I mention I love me? I love being me? This is, uh, And I get oh. to do this for eternity. But anyway, what's your question? I'm for sorry. For eternity. Yeah. For sorry, eternity. Sorry, sorry. Back to your question. <laughs> so the question was, what do you... I know you hate monopolies, except for the one on religion. Uh, how do you feel about the infidels killing the Christians? And Jesus was like, oh, hold on yeah, a cotton picking minute there, lad. <laughs> Listen, you know, I don't, you know, I don't mind violence. No. I, I, going right back to Constantine, oh. when Constantine was looking for help against Maxentius, and I said, Listen, paint this little squiggly symbol on your, on your shields, yeah. and I will help you kill tens of thousands. Good of day. Romans. I love. Good day. I lo- I'm the Messiah. The Messiah is a warrior king. You know. That's right. I can fucking throw down <laughs> with the best <laughs> of them, son. I get behind couple the of, right. Just a couple of Bundy rums, a couple of beers in me. I will to, go to fucking town. To Head button. Sorry. Got to keep a shiv down my toga <laughs> at all times. <laughs> I'll pull out. Shiver, motherfucker, before you can you bleak. so fast. Anyway, but <laughs> I only approve of two kinds of violence. One okay. is right. right Jesus on anyone violence. Love that. So, you know, I'll good. take on all comers. <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> Stand in the I'm like bar. that crazy. Right? Who's that crazy Irish MMA guy? Oh, Mc- uh, oh fuck yeah! I know Conor McGregor. About. I'm like Conor yeah. McGregor. I'll fight anyone, <laughs> anytime, <laughs> anywhere. My underwear. This stage, yeah. 
Jesus was covered in tats at this stage. Like, covered in crazy tats, skinny as fuck. His, like, <laughs> his, body, his body fat was down to, like, nothing. He's, he'd lost a couple of teeth uh, from just, you know, fight club. He'd been running fight clubs in the bars around heaven. Uh, just getting in, in disguise so people didn't know it was him. I want you to oh. hit me as hard as you can. They were no. like, Jesus, really? <laughs> oh, Jesus has been drinking again. Oh, no. Hey, hit go. me. Come on. I could, I could take it. I'm Jesus. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Right. Anyway. The, where the fuck were we? Oh, yeah. He goes, that kind of violence I love. Christian on Christian violence right. I love. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the, the Aryans versus the Trinitarians, you oh. know, the Goths versus the Catholics. Oh, um, good times. Protestants versus the Catholics. Yeah. Uh, uh, Protestants versus Protestants. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Nazi fascist Christians against the Protestants and the Catholics. Uh, love good that. Stuff. Christian, uh, and third, uh, Catholic on Jew violence. Love that. <laughs> Christian on Jew violence. Love that. Uh, <laughs> quite frankly... Look, I know my dad's got this creepy thing with the yeah, Jews that he's been going on about for a long time. During Thanksgiving. Uh, but the, uh, they, 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 they weren't really there for me. Right. Uh, didn't really do it for me. Look, I know I am a Jew, and I know that I am my dad. Right. It's complicated. Uh, so, but it, it gets very yeah. complicated yeah. when you think about it too hard. Don't think layers. about it. That's my recommendation. Don't think about it too hard. Right. Too many layers. <laughs> too many layers. Pre, don't think about it. Pre-think about it. Just give it a good pre-think. And then walk away. Makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense when you just pre-think things, don't? Just give it an old pre-think and then get back to the tongue foo. Uh, don't, don't think about it too hard. But if you're asking me what do I think about infidel right, right. on Christian violence, no. no, I don't like it. And if I had to choose between monopolies right. and uh, infidel on Christian violence, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the monopoly. Yeah. I think that's, that's the one. Go. He goes, well... Fucking Pope, Popeye's like, oh, fuck, I'm glad you finished. Glad you, oh, thank God you finally <laughs> shut up. And by thank God, I'm thanking you. Thank um, you for shutting you up. Right. If you could get to the fucking point, Jesus, <laughs> what I want to know is... This is long distance. Is it okay? Fuck. Yeah. I'm paying Barry and Stan <laughs> by the second. That's where they're charging me now. It's a thousand florins a second. They're, they're just good. sitting here. Yeah. They're it just in. sitting here because they, as soon as they get Jesus on the phone, they know <laughs> oh, it's going to be a huge bill. Whip out their abacus. Jesus is doing it deliberately yeah. because he still owes them for the whole Virgin Mary thing. He's deliberately he's helping them running up right. there. He's yeah. running up their rates. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They, oh. They're giving him a kickback, ten percent. That's <laughs> back to Jesus. I'm good with that. Yeah, <laughs> it feels so wrong. It feels so wrong. Tithing. That's what tithing is. It's a ten percent kickback. <laughs> A kickback to Jesus for writing up the bill. So much makes so much sense Keep now. people busy. Right. Oh, my God. I have no fucking idea. Anyway, yeah. uh, bottom line is, bottom line is, <laughs> Barry and Stan found a loophole for Pope Pius. Having a monopoly is okay if it meant supporting Christianity against the infidels. Right. Bob's your uncle. Now, as the, yeah. as the official papal bankers, the Medici were in a good position to move into the alum business. And they also had a, a huge like sales and distribution network because of all of their bank branches yeah. throughout Europe, which they could use to sell and move the alum. They're basically drug dealers, right? They've got this huge network. They go, right. well, we're already s- selling, selling money. 
we can just right, uh, cross-promote. Hey, uh, while you're here for a loan, you, you want some alum? Right. Hey, you, we got the bench? best alum here. Yeah. Look, take year. a free free snort. They have little 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 dime bags of alum <laughs> they were passing out. Just take a free just free hit of that. Sprinkle it on your yeah. hand. <laughs> just yeah. Go. Once yeah. you snort that shit, yeah. oh, back Tell of your hand. You it's gonna be great. Tell me what you think. Yeah. Um, so by fourteen sixty four, the year of Cosimo's death, Aww. the Medici were handling half of the Pope's alum sales. Yeah. Now. By 1471, it was estimated that the alum mines at Tolfa were producing about 3,400 tonnes of alum a year. So it was a big operation. Right. But there were problems. Yeah. Yeah, so since the Medici had gotten started in this uh, trade of the year, the last year of uh, Cosimo's life, it wasn't being handled by Cosimo. It was being handled by Piero's father-in-law, Giovanni Tornaboni, who had managed, as we said earlier, the Rome branch for, ma- for many years. So Cosimo dies, dies, Giovanni tells Piero, look, to be honest with you, we're doing this, and we thought we were going to be killing it with the money, but we're barely making any profit off this. Why? Because the process, the overall process, is being handled so incompetently by the papal authorities because they're too busy saving souls and raping children that the market is flooded. They don't understand how to control the flow of it. When prices go, so they flood the market, prices go down before an expensive purchase of alum can be made to reach the market. So the point is, they're not handling distribution right, and so they're not helping us and it's just screwing everything up and in fact it's getting to the point it's really not even worth us being in this business yeah yeah the pope turns out uh pope doesn't know much about how to run a monopoly uh <laughs> shock the times the market would be flooded the price would collapse before they could get the alum there oh. so it was not they, they, they weren't making any money out of it he said listen he says to piero listen uh we need to do one of either two things either get out of the alum business or yeah. we take over the alum business for the Pope and manage it ourselves. Right. We now, know the problem is, is that during the, yeah. during the war of 1465 between Florence and Venice, Pope Paul, Paulie Walnuts, who had right. become the new Pope, yeah. is a Venetian, yeah. blind, and he <laughs> had taken the papal account away from the oh, Medici shit. and given it to his relatives. Because that's what God wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So Piero sent 17-year-old Lorenzo now to Rome to use his charm and, if need be, his uh, pristine butthole right. on the Pope. Paul Caesar, like a Bithynia? Now, yeah. 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 Queen of Bithynia, the Pope. Right. Now, he told him what to say. Right. The, the argument to the Pope was sending ships to take the alum to Europe was a dangerous business. Piracy, stormy seas, etc., could result in many lost shipments. Now, that is going to be a drain on the papal treasury. Mm -hmm. But if you let us run the business, we will cover all of the losses. And we're the only people who can afford to cover the losses. Yeah. A weaker house would be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it uh, you know, it's all upside for you. We will, we will cover the yeah. losses and share the profits with you. Yeah. So it, it worked. Combination of Lorenzo's uh, tight, tight <laughs> rectum and Piero's 
rational business arguments, convince Pope Paulie Walnuts to give the Medici control of the alum monopoly. This enables them to fix the price and they make a ton of money out of this. It's estimated that the bank probably probably received at a minimum... (laughs) About 70,000 florins a year just from the alum business. Now, consider that in the 23 years up until 1420, the entire profit the Medici Bank had ever made was 152,000 florins. Yeah. Damn. This is under Papa Joe. Uh, This is before Cosimo takes over. Still, 70,000 florins a year... Damn. Lot of, lot of, lot of money. So, uh, right. Piero, despite all of the concerns about him, he's not only saved Florence, saved the political power of the Medici, he's also negotiated the Medici into a situation where they're going to make more money than even Jesus would know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh my God! Just all that money is going to be coming in. So you're right. Military, politically, uh, economic. He is able to do it all from a sitting position. That's not. That's not bad at all. So the family is going to go on, and they're going to keep um, injecting money into Florence through um, commissions, paintings, buildings, that kind of thing. Obviously, I think we've said this before. When Cosimo was in charge, he was very um, determined to leave a permanent legacy uh, through buildings. He wanted the, he wanted people to know the Medi- the Medici family had built these various buildings, these cathedrals, these churches, these uh, places for the orphans to be, that kind of stuff. When it came to the commissioning of paintings, he left that to his sons, Giovanni and Piero. So again, they had an interest in this. They probably knew more about it than him because he was focused on the big picture. So now that uh, Piero's in charge and he's got all this money, that tradition is going to continue. Now, uh, Piero continued to support Donatello, who was Cosimo's favourite. Donatello lived at the Palazzo Medici Mm. for... Many, many years. Uh, there may have been a gay thing going on between him and Cosimo we talked about earlier. Right. Donatello was uh, homosexual. Yes. And we don't really know about Cosimo's sexuality, but there were hints and rumours that uh, Donatello and Cosimo were uh, getting it on to a little bit of slow jam from time to time. <laughs> uh, and after Cosimo died in 1464... Piero continued to to uh, support and uh, patronise in a good way mm-hmm. Donatello right. until he also died a couple of years later in 1466. And then Piero even honoured Donatello's dying wish that he would be buried in the church of San Lorenzo close to Cosimo's tomb. Aww. Now, this is a big deal right. for a mere painter and sculptor, for a mere artist. We have to keep in mind that artists up until this point were just seen as, yeah, yeah, low, low on the totem pole. These were, they had the same amount of respect that uh, a plumber or a bricklayer gets today. They're just a guy you bring in to do a job. They're not special. They're not uh, glorified, they're not admired and esteemed, they're not superstars, they're just guys who you bring in to do a job, you pay them and you tell them to fuck off and go home. Right. Um, you don't invite and, them to live uh, with you. But, 
Yeah. Yeah, or to die with you, even. But this is, <laughs> this is changing uh, at this period. Like, the Medici started to see artists as more than just craftsmen. They were starting to see them as special and as worthy of respect mm-hmm. and, and worthy of glorification. And the artists were starting to think of themselves differently as well. It's from this period that we can date the concept of the artist as genius. Mm. It was during this period in the middle of the 14th, uh, sorry, 15th century, in the middle of the 1400s, when artists started to, as a direct result of the treatment of them by the Medici in particular, started to be revered in society as having gifts beyond those of mortal men. Another painter that Piero favoured was Antonio de Giacobbo Benci, better known as Paul Laiuolo. Paul Laiuolo. Mm. Because his father was a poulterer. He was in the poultry business. Uh, basically, Paul Laiuolo means chicken man. He was <laughs> Gus Fring. Right. He was the Gus <laughs> Fring of Florence. Uh, right. Not only a painter, also a sculptor, engraver, and goldsmith, and loved to paint big muscle bound men. <laughs> oh, here Ray. we go. Uh, right. Why are you did you me? did you have a look at anyway. any of Paolo Wolo's uh, works? Um, I looked in Playgirl, but I don't think that's what you mean. <laughs> Well, go and have a look in our Renaissance Facebook page because I posted a couple of Polar Wallow's paintings in there of Hercules for you. Um, There was... Piero commissioned him to do a couple of paintings of Hercules, Hercules being uh, the symbol of courage on the official seal of the Signoria of Florence. Right. And... Piero wanted uh, Polio Wolo to show Hercules as being larger than life, getting him back to being a Greek god rather than just uh, like a medieval warrior as he had been depicted previously. Um, And so, yeah, there's two paintings that Polio Wolo did, and they're worth looking at in terms of uh, the progression of renaissance art uh there's one that i posted up in uh our facebook page specifically for you it, it's a painting of two uh mostly naked muscle-bound men uh grappling uh with each other a little bit of bum crack showing uh on hercules <laughs> oh, there yeah and I, I actually i mentioned that it was actually entitled just vegas and uh, for a long time people didn't understand why it was called that but if you look at uh, the the definition of the bodies and the muscles, it's it's kind of typical early Renaissance. There's there's, there's a, not a lot of definition, but if you look on the expression of the face of the guy that Hercules is squeezing oh, he, to death, he feels Antaeus, it. Yeah. he feels it. He feels yeah. it. Yeah, and and it reminds me of. You know the the painting we saw of Adam and Eve uh, leaving the Garden of Eden, painted by Masaccio, this fresco, right. and you really see the, the, the grief on yeah. Eve's face, the shame. Yeah, yeah. This this reminds me of that, and so we, we're starting to see. I mean, this I think this didn't get finished until like fourteen seventy five, but we're starting to see a lot more expression right. on the faces of the characters in these paintings. We, we, perspective, we see a lot more detail with the body, more colour, uh, different subject matter. Like this is, uh, this is not a religious painting, obviously. 
Um, but right. uh, also just the emotion, the pain of human existence. This is what the, the where the humanism in the Renaissance is really starts to become evident in these commissioned works. Mm. Also, it's interesting that Piero is commissioning Poliawolo to paint major works that aren't religious in nature. Yeah, this look- isn't the Annunciation of the Virgin or any of this kind of stuff, which is the majority of the work that's still getting produced at this stage in the middle of the 1400s. Now Piero's saying, yeah, you know, go, go, go crazy. Paint something, paint something outside up. of religious yeah. works. Yeah. No more fat baby um, There's another one. or Madonna. Yeah. There's another Hercules painting that Poliawolo did uh, of... Hercules in the Hydra. This is my favourite. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, Hercules has got this crazy killer Galeazzo rapey rapey look on his face uh, <laughs> as he's grasping the many-headed Hydra and cutting its heads off or not really cutting. He's just got like a tree trunk in his hands that he's bashing it with. That works. The Hydra heads look like Doberman pincers. It's kind of great. They're pretty scary. Right. But on his head, do you have this painting open in front of you, Hercules in the Hydra? I do. You see, on his head, he's wearing a, uh, a lion's skin. Right. That comes down, is tied around his waist. Sure. Tied with a lion's paw tactfully <laughs> covering his genitalia. Right. Uh, I like that. I yeah. like the idea of covering up your junk. With uh, a lion's paw. Yeah. I think it's both erotic and a little bit scary. <laughs> well, the, the thrill is in the danger, my friend, because that, that paw still has claws, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he could get oh, hurt. But they're facing away from... But still. Facing away still. from his uh, nutsack. Yeah. Yeah. It's not rule number one when you're putting uh, claws over your nutsack you is to point the claws you away. You don't have to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just that's what I live by. Yeah. But I, I really like this painting. Now the backgrounds aren't uh, that great. Right. I think that's supposed to be the River Arno uh, in the background there, and they're, they're, they're pretty basic. His backgrounds, yeah. Poliawolo. But Poliawolo also, as I said before, was a sculptor and engraver. And if you go to his Wikipedia page, you'll see a couple of things. There's a, a sculpture that he did of Hercules that is very reminiscent of Donatello's David that was standing in the oh. entranceway to the uh, Palazzo Medici. Very homoerotic uh, right. statue of Hercules, uh, which is interesting. I don't know about the, the sexuality of Polio Wolo. Um, maybe he liked uh, a little bit of the old, you know, yeah. uh, backdoor, backdoor Betty. Um, he also, if you scroll down this page, there is an engraving, the Battle of the Nudes, massive engraving that he did in the 1470s. Um, now, I love this. If you look closely at this, an incredible amount of detail is, is basically about uh, 10 guys fighting Mm -hmm. with daggers and swords and bows and arrows and axes. Uh, And the looks on their faces are fantastic, like pain, people being stabbed, violent anger. These guys are abhorrent. They look horrifying. Right. Uh, The the devilish, 
the looks on their faces, like absolute uh, menacing, uh, insane, contorted faces, a lot of detail uh, and the musculature of their body. It's quite a quite an astounding piece of work, and as I said, it was an engraving. Oh my god! Uh, so yeah, very very, very skilled, uh, Polio Wolo, and is considered one of the great sort of early Renaissance masters. A name I hadn't really heard of before. Not sure I'd seen any of his works before, but definitely, yeah. definitely worth a look. Definitely worth uh, checking out, and. He will come up later because one of his students is somebody else who uh, sort of starts to become active in this time, Sandro Botticelli, probably, you know, one of the greatest and most beloved of the uh, Renaissance artists. In fact, uh, his depiction of Venus coming out of the clamshell is the desktop on my MacBook at the oh, moment. Oh, nice. Uh, I've been enjoying, yeah. enjoying looking at that. Hey, I'm looking at the Battle of the Nudes right now, the picture you were just talking about about the men, and I'm not thinking about baby Jesus or Mary or heaven at all. It doesn't matter that I'm turned on. No. It's the exact, it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's not religious. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. I mean, he did do some religious stuff, of course, um, but also a lot of stuff out of Greek mythology, like the Hercules thing, uh, Apollo and Daphne. Uh, So we're starting to see a lot more of this uh, Greek mythology work its way into Renaissance art. Um, So there you go. And he he apparently had an interest in the classics, as did... Piero and uh, Piero commissioned him to start to paint more and more non-religious topics. Now, you can imagine Mm -hmm. being in Florence at the time and you start to see these works. Yeah. uh, You're not used to seeing non-religious paintings. So it would have been quite shocking, quite arresting, and would have inspired other artists to try similar things taking um, ancient Roman and Greek mythology and putting it into painting. Um, so there you go. He also did a sculpture of Romulus and Remus and the She-Wolf. Right. And he ended up going to Rome eventually where he built the tomb for, of Pope Sixtus IV, which is now at St. Peter's. Right. Um, so he, you know, and he also think he did the mausoleum of Pope Innocent VIII, so, a very influential guy, Polio Wolo. That reminds me of something we were talking about uh, several episodes ago, where about the paintings years ago were to help people understand the stories of the Bible because they couldn't read. So you put up images so they can understand. That makes sense. And then um, that starts to change and the Renaissance comes. And then you still have religious ideas, but they're a lot more beautiful. They're a lot more expressive. There's a lot more color to it and depth and they bring back perspective. I get that. And now you're telling me there's starting to be paintings that aren't based on religion, but it's only acceptable because I guess families like the Medici are the ones who are commissioning these artists, which is going to free up other artists. Well, you know, if they can do it, I guess it's okay for us to do so. It's it's going to be uh, it's going to spread. But again, I think it's under the cover of well, the Medici's are the one who who commissioned this, so it must be okay, even though it's not religious. So maybe it wasn't considered as shocking as it could have been if it wasn't for one of the leading families who were actually saying, "No, no, I want something like this." 
I'm just guessing, but I just find the the timeline fascinating. Yeah, well, I, look, I think at this stage, several generations of the elite had educated ah, their children right. in, with humanist education too. So they're probably there's a hunger, probably an appetite for something different. to see some of these things depicted as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many times are you going to see baby so, Jesus? Come on, come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, um, uh, Botticelli, uh, we will do more in later episodes. He was also taken into the, uh, the home of Piero and Lucrezia uh, and, and really shone under the patronage later on of Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. But, and he's going to deserve a few episodes, so we'll, we'll skip Botticelli for now. But one artist I did want to finish up talking about for the next 10 or 15 minutes who's very important from this period and got his patronage from Piero during his key years was Fra Filippo Lippi. Right. He was originally taken on by Cosimo, would work for Piero and, and Lorenzo, but uh, you know, mostly did most of his uh, major work under uh, sort of late Cosimo and Piero. Mm. Born the son of a butcher oh. in Florence around 1406. Right. Uh, his mother died in childbirth. His father died when he was two. Damn. And he was sent to live with his poor aunt. Uh, but he would continually run away and eventually she sent him to a, a monastery, Santa Maria del Carmine in the Oltrano, down where the Palazzo Pitti is. Mm. And uh, he took his vows there as a Carmelite monk, which is why, as we've explained before, uh, he's called Fra, which yeah. means frater or brother. So brother, Lippi. Well, that's fine. And now, but before mm. he, I'm, I'm sorry, just before he joins the uh, the monastery, he is for years running a wild on the street with uh, with other orphans, if you will. And so I think maybe either his character or his earlier experience might have helped form him already. So he can take the orders of the monk. That's fine, but I don't think that's going to go very well with the person he seems to already have become, or maybe he was just born with a with a certain character, and we'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. He's a wild one, yes. old Lippy. So <laughs> when he gets to this monastery, mm-hmm. it's around about this time that uh, Masaccio is there painting a series of frescoes. Ooh, now, to yeah. remind people, Masaccio, we covered him a while ago, he learnt the dark arts of linear perspective from Brunelleschi <laughs> and he's one of the f- the first guy really to paint using linear perspective and uh, blew everyone away, inspired people for generations to come because yes. they didn't really understand perspective before Masaccio and they were like, oh, shit, look at that. It looks like you're looking through a window at the real world. Right. It's now, he yeah. was still alive when Lippi got there. Lippi... This street urchin, complete poverty, son of a butcher, became obsessed with Masaccio's frescoes and would spend hours and hours and hours sitting there, looking at them, studying them, trying to copy them. Masaccio and he became friends and Masaccio passed on his knowledge to Lippi before he died. Masaccio, this is in 1428, quite young, I seem to recall. Yes. I think there was some question about whether or not he was poisoned or something like that. Um, 
And then Lippi, quite soon after, abandoned the monastery and travelled to Padua with the goal of becoming a painter. Yeah. Now, none of his paintings from the Padua period survived, but he must have been busy and made a splash because other artists started to copy his style and we have their paintings. Right. Now... Apparently, he had to leave Padua uh, not long after, something to do with some woman (laughs) that he had a fight over, and he travelled south along the coast where something interesting happened, Ray. This is one of my favourite stories. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, this is an example of where history repeats itself. So he's sailing, he's blown out to sea, he is captured by Moorish corsairs, uh, they take him to North Africa and they make him a slave. Does this sound familiar yet? He is going to be ransomed. He writes a bunch of poetry. He promises them that when he's safe, he is going to crucify them. No, wait, hold on. That's Caesar. No, okay. Scratch all that. Okay, so he is a captive for 18 months in North Africa until one day his hopefully God-given talent as an artist saves his life. So the story that he told himself, whether or not it's true is another issue, but the story that he told was that he was in a prison as a slave and and kept in a cell or something, and he ended up drawing a picture on the wall of the caliph, which somebody drew to the attention of the caliph. Now, because of the, the, the Muslim ban on idol worship and figurative representation, which is why... Islamic oh. temples uh, just full of nice swirly patterns. The caliph had never seen a picture of himself before, and apparently he was so blown away that he gave <laughs> Lippy his freedom. That's some now picture. that story, yeah. that story may be bullshit, but that was the story that <laughs> Lippy himself gave. Whatever the truth is, he, he got out of North Africa, turned up in Naples a little while later, where he was working as a court painter while living on the streets and in the bordellos. Now, either then or sometime later, he was imprisoned again, suffered a public flogging for fraud, apparently. Damn. Uh, Don't know the details on that. It's mentioned briefly by Vasari. Anyway, he ended up leaving Naples and returned home to Florence around about 1437. Now, Vasari, uh, in his Eminent Lives of the Painters, says that Lippi was much addicted to the pleasures of the sense <laughs> in so much that he would give all he possessed to secure the gratification of, what, of whatever inclination might at the moment be predominant. <laughs> and if he couldn't gratify his desires, he would paint it and talk about it until he got over it. So in other words, if there was a hot chick that yeah. he couldn't get in the sack... right. He would paint her right. then, in his paintings. And then poke a hole in it. And t- yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Step one, <laughs> cut a hole in the painting. Yeah. Sorry. It's hour three. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah. So he comes to the attention of Cosimo at some stage yeah. and Cosimo commissions him to do works. But Cosimo and Piero probably Piero that was doing most of the commissioning because he was the painter guy. Um, they, they, 
discovered that Lippi wasn't very good at finishing work. Right. He would agree to do a painting. Back in those days, you would pay the painter up front. Yeah. Then Lippy would fuck off to the bordellos the and live on the streets, yeah. get pissed, pissed, <laughs> drunk, and fucking whores. Oh, like a podcaster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was living the podcast life, my friend. Yeah. Uh, and this is where the term, you know, you're getting a little bit lippy comes from. Because he, he, was, he was completely lippy. Right. Talking smack. Um, so what... Cosimo ended up doing was giving Lippi a studio in the Palazzo Medici and he would be locked in there, have his meals slid under the door. Fuck. He's back in prison again. Yes. He's always in prison, this guy, uh, until he finished the painting. But Lippi didn't like that idea. What did Lippi do, Ray? Well, Lippi, obviously, um, a very courageous person, very brave person, very smart. He takes his sheets cuts them up, ties them into a rope, climbs down to the to the streets and disappears for several days. Does he go to the bordellos or the drinking dens? We don't know. Probably both. Probably mix them all together. But Cosimo has to send servants out to look for this guy. This is just not working out. You can't even lock him into a room and you can't even say anything like, I won't pay you or let you out until you finish. The guy didn't give a fuck. He would give lip and he just gave attitude. He was brilliant but there was, I think this is when Cosimo and others were figuring out just because someone's a genius, that means good and bad things at the same time. Yeah, I think it was as a result of his dealings with Lippi that uh, Cosimo realized you need to treat these painters differently, ah, these artists. They're, uh, if you want the breed. genius, it comes with the baggage. It comes you know? with the price. It's like, <laughs> it's like trying to date a hot blonde. Right. Uh, the, the, Tell me about you know, it. men understand the trade-off. Well, you, you, if you want to date a gorgeous blonde, they're ine- inevitably batshit crazy. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's the trade-off. You accept that. You want to bang the hot blonde, she's going to be crazy. You, you're going you to get... spend the... 50, 60% of your time with her throwing <laughs> things at you, oh, trying to cut right. you or herself, yeah, rolling her eyes. breaking up with yeah. you, setting things on fire... <laughs> You, you you come home from work to find your your bed linen cut up with a carving knife. The good and the uh, bad. Because she thinks you've been fucking around. You haven't. Yeah. But she thinks you good have man. been. Um, good yeah. 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 So that's just it's, You're throwing it's, some it's German. The trade-off. Oh my god. Anyway. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky, come home again. I smell that. There's a bit of gas. Oh, I told you I'm not a Jew. Oh shit! I forgot. <laughs> Quit pouring that on me. Uh, anyway. <laughs> one time. One time we gassed the Jews. One time we gassed the Jews and you never let it go. Jesus. Cut me some slack. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yes. Cosimo sent servants out to the bordellos in the Mercato Vecchio, the old markets, which is where the new, the current Piazza della Repubblica is, Ooh. where the Apple Store is, where I took my MacBook to yes. when it stopped working right. in the middle of our trip, and the Apple Store in uh, Piazza della Repubblica said, "Sorry, Sorry. we can't, we can't fix it. No you, you're not from, you're not from yeah. here." Uh, which fucked up, fucked my trip, made me very unhappy. Yes. Anywho, yes. Um, thanks to uh, our friend Effie. 
who let me use her laptop mm-hmm. to back up my camera and my phone every night nice. and then put it on a hard drive. Um, so Effie, Effie had my back, yes. as well as looking after Fox many times. She, she was great, great Effie. Class act. Shout out to Effie, yeah. New York Effie. I felt safer Speaking of with, Jews. with her around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Effie, our New York Jew, <laughs> our token New York Jew on our tour. She was, she was awesome. Okay, the two of you nearly came to blows on the first night when she criticised you for having a meat sandwich. Vegan Effie. I think she was. Yeah. She, she nearly yeah. Pulled, pulled a knife right. on you. I was like, can I eat this She's sandwich not even a first? And then stab me, but uh, no. Anyway, we worked it out. But you two worked, it, worked out. it out. You got drunk, yeah. you worked it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, uh, yeah, so they found, they found Lippy after a few days. He returned to work on the painting, and this time Cosimo let him come and go freely, worried that he would kill himself if he kept trying to escape, right. and paintings are never going to get finished if he's dead or breaks an arm or something True. like that. Yeah, now, because of Lippy's uh, crazy nature, <laughs> uh, most of his work isn't religious in subject either, but... They are very realistic. And even the ones that are religious aren't very solemn, but very realistic. Uh, Most of the faces have very realistic expressions, even if some of them are still relatively muted. The colours are very vivid but not garish. They're not, it's not full of gold and these sorts of things like you see in the Giotto era. And the perspective is very realistic. Um, now I know that you prepared for this, Ray. Mm. You prepared for my inevitable question: would... What's your favourite Lippy painting? Yeah. Uh, why don't you explain your favourite to us, and I will do mine. Right. Well, I yeah, I, I did thirty-five, thirty-six seconds looking at his paintings, but the Coronation of the Virgin. Oh my God! Now, obviously, there's a lot of these or whatever, but the particular one of his, um, I I don't know the color. It pops at me the attention, all drawn on the um, the Virgin Mary. You've got God slash Santa Claus with the big hat, these rainbow things. But I, what it comes down to for me is that, like you just said a second ago, I feel like each of these people are real people. They're specific people. They have a certain, they have a thought going on in their head at the moment and he's able to capture emotion. And he, he basically makes this painting with it, which has a lot of people in it. They're each their own person. It's a group of individuals as opposed to just cookie cutter between that, the intensity, the color, the expressions, the, the eyes alone. Oh my God. This one was my favorite. And it's like, he just, it was just freaking amazing, and it just held my attention when I first saw it. And uh, you've got, um, I, I think it's Mary down the uh, bottom center uh, yeah. staring straight into the camera. She's giving you a look right. like, can you believe this shit? Yeah. I've been knocked up by God. Right. Like, really? Yeah. God, of all people. I didn't even get to feel it. I was thinking... Right. You know, and, when I finally lost my virginity, right? I mean, Russell Crowe doesn't count, but <laughs> I, I thought it would be. Uh, you know, a little known fact: I, God doesn't believe in yeah. foreplay, so I had that to contend with. Yeah. So it yeah. hurt mm. uh, at first. And it, and he'd been hanging out with Galeazzo <laughs> in Milan, so basically just flipped me over the the dining room table. wasn't wasn't exactly what I hoped. And for. Th- you know what he said to me? He said, "Brace yourself," and that was it. <laughs> 
That's, that's God's foreplay. Brace yourself. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Well, no, really. actually, technically. No. I'm looking forward really. to it. Yeah. Anyway, but no, just the, the mm. realism, like you were saying. But that was my favorite. Mm. And the colors. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, looking through Lippy's work, even though, you know, there's a lot of it is still fairly religious and a lot of the faces yeah. are still muted. Um, just a delicacy of the line and the perspective mm. mm-hmm. starts to kick in here. Like he really took what he learned from Masaccio and yeah. ran with it uh, very, very well. You can see just a lot of, like if you look at even the coronation of the Virgin, look at the arms of the, the I guess it's God's throne, Jesus' throne there, perfect. Um, the mm-hmm. the balustrades are perfect. The people, uh, the angels, and everything. Just the just the proportion and the perspective balance is yeah. uh, spot on. Yeah. Um, what was? Uh, let me think about my other favorite one of Lippy. Okay. Yeah, the nativity. He did around about fourteen forty five. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Um, again, it's sort of. Muted, religious, um, Joseph looking all forlorn because he realises that Russell Crowe banged his wife and he right. can never hit that again. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and the baby is not great, but if you look at the, the mountains, if you look at the building in the distance on the left, uh, if you look at just the the, the perspective of the, the, I don't know, the animal hut, that uh, she's in, mm-hmm. uh, it looks it looks realistic. You know, it right. looks like uh, you're looking at the real world right. there. It would be over so. There. His his understanding. My only complaint is in the middle of the painting. There's like a river that runs through it that doesn't look quite right. But the the the, the mountains, um, the building uh-huh. in the background, the trees, the landscape. The animals, the the donkey, not the best donkey in the world. Right. Um, so listen, like he's, it's not the greatest of the great paintings, but it's starting to come together. Right. Like the, you can the see perspective. Yes. Yeah, the perspective and the faces. Joseph sitting there looks a little bit sad, um, and so do the animals. I think the animals aren't very happy about this whole thing. They can see where this is going to lead. <laughs> like it's not good. No, it's not good. Can tell you because yeah, it's not yeah. We we were there when Russell Crowe did right. it. I mean, the whole virgin thing is bullshit. <laughs> but if you if you skip ahead and look at his Madonna with the child and scenes from the life of Saint Anne, uh, maybe who that's what it was in the other one. Maybe it was Saint Anne that was looking at camera. Um, again, you got a bunch of women. One, I guess, is Saint Anne. She's looking directly at the viewer uh, face is very original um, and she's looking s- sort of a little bit droopy eyed, a little bit sad. I always get the impression from yes. these women. They're like, fucking hell. Really? I have to have a baby now. I was having such a great time. I was mm. partying, reading poetry, uh, yeah. weaving. Uh, yeah. Being flirted now with. Now I have to do this. Yeah. Now I have to raise a Royal, a Holy baby. Jesus it's just God. a lot of pressure. Be Saint John the Baptist. Um, he, he's he's holding some what looks like some snot between his finger and his thumb. He's rolling yes, it like, like uh, a joint. <laughs> he's like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, he's rolling 
Piece of snot in his fingers <laughs> there. He's pulling a McConaughey. Right. Um, fat baby looking up at her like, hey, look, look what I picked out of my nose. Yeah. I don't know what's going you on. You want to share it? You want to have Anyway, yeah. there's, a, there's a delicacy. Look at just the, the colouring of oh, her yeah. face, the shading of her face, her eyes, the delicacy of it is, is quite beautiful. Now, yeah. let's finish up by telling the real story about Lippy because this, this is where this story goes off the fucking <laughs> charts. I know we're running a bit late. Um, Cosimo commissioned him to do some paintings for Pope Eugenius, who became a huge fan. Then in 1446, mm-hmm. in order to get Lippi yeah. out of the, f- <laughs> the dens of iniquity right. of Florence, yeah. he convinces him to go back to his hometown in the countryside, Prato, mm-hmm. and he gets him a commission Aww. to do a painting at a convent in Prato. Okay. Well, the first day he's there, Lippy's, uh, you know, setting up, getting his uh, paints right. ready and his, his brushes oh, yes. and all that important. kind of stuff. It's important. Where he lays eyes on a 19-year-old nun oh, God. called Lucrezia. Mm-hmm. Apparently there was only one That's name right. you could call women in it. Florence at the that time, it. and it was Lucrezia. Yeah. So uh, he falls madly in love, love at first right. sight. Well, like... Like you and me. Love at first sight with Lucrezia. Right. And he got permission from the nuns to use her as the model. Oh, he used her. For the Virgin Mary. Right. In his painting. Right. Sorry. Sorry. So, yes, he goes, she would make the perfect Virgin Mary. Right. Uh, And by that, I don't mean uh, a drink with tomato juice (laughs) and vodka. I mean a model for the painting. Right. Turns out. Oh. Uh, not so much of the virgin, uh, this <laughs> young willing. nun, Lucretia, yeah. because yeah. a few months later, she turned up pregnant to Lippy. Oh. And, uh, he convinced her to run away with him and she did. Not Now, yeah. what a player this guy is. Like he goes <laughs> in, picks the hot nun and Who's unsure knocks herself. her up. Right. Says, come on. Knocks her up. Come on, yeah. run away with me. You know, come on, she, they, she threw a right. She threw a habit off. <laughs> uh, they jumped in a convertible right. Mustang. She wasn't wearing and underwear. Rode off. Clearly, right? No, right. no. Those were long. Now gone. she ended up bearing him two sons. Right. One was also called Filippo, who also becomes a famous Renaissance painter in his own right. He's known as Filippino Lippi, right. little Filippo. Right. Now, uh, obviously, uh, they were uh, getting themselves into a lot of trouble with the uh, holy authorities here. <laughs> yeah. uh, this guy's supposedly a, a monk. Yeah. She's a nun. No, no. He Can't. knocks her up, runs away with her. Can't do that. Cosimo ended up personally petitioning Popeye, Pope Pius, <laughs> right. to release both of them from their holy vows. Ah. And he grants that special dispensation. Uh, there was a there was a little machine at the Vatican. Right. You put a couple of gold florins in, and it, you got a Pushing special buttons. dispensation out right. of that. Right. Okay, this white sticky fluid came out. It was a special dispensation <laughs> by the Pope. You just smeared it all over yourself, <laughs> right. and that enabled them to get married Aww. and set up a home with their children, live happily ever after. Which could have been. 
which could have been happily ever after, <laughs> except he led with his dick. No, no. He didn't stay very long. He got what he wanted and he took off. Yes. Is there more to that story? Oh, yeah. So he would leave them behind. And, uh, well, I don't know. Um, he would just go back to being a painter, but also at the same time causing a lot of drama. Um, so he's producing great works, but he's driving everybody crazy around him. And um, there's one point where he, I guess he hasn't learned his lesson, so he's painting, he's working. And don't get me wrong, he is, he is producing some incredible works. But at the same time, he hasn't learned any lessons. And supposedly, he was embezzling from his own assistant, which is, I think, in some ways even worse than banging a nun. So he's got to answer for that. And the answer for that was he was to be thrown onto the rack and tortured until his bowels gave way. Now, I don't know exactly what all that involves, but if you just tell me I'm going to be put on the rack, my bowels will give straight away. You don't actually have to put me on. I will just shit myself right then and there. I think it's interesting. They say, we're going to put you on the rack. Oh, okay, for how long? Until your bowels give away. I mean, well, that's... (laughs) Yeah. Like, you just shit yourself right then and there, right? Okay, well, I'm good. Can I go now? Sorry, guys. Yeah. Sorry. I can normally hold on longer. I'm really, this is really embarrassing. But, but uh, Not as long as I used to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. see you later. At 63, he finally died uh, in 1469, poisoned, according to the story, right. by the outraged relatives of a young girl Fuck. that he had seduced. He's got a type. At 63. He's got a type. She heard the story of his bowels giving away while he was right. uh, being tortured on the rack, and she was That's like, hot. Mm, That's hot. My, my parents yeah. don't want me sleeping with you, so I will sleep with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, impressive uh, to the end, he was buried in the cathedral at Spoleto, where he died with the support of the Medici family. Right. So with a life like that, he still manages to get buried in that cathedral. Now, this his burial in the cathedral was one of the last acts yeah. of Piero the Gouty, who himself died just two months later, at the end of 1469, of gout. Right. Uh, and he, all in all, ended up being a fairly wise ruler. Yeah. As we said before, he, he, he kept... Uh, things stable in Florence. He may have called in those loans, which caused some problems, but then he ended up getting the alum monopoly, which right. uh, made a ton of money. Yeah, shit ton. And in the, last, in the last months of his life, despite being bedridden and in an enormous amount of pain from the gout, his last great act was that he heard that certain people in Florence were taking advantage of the Medici name. They were holding up members of other rich families in the night and robbing them and then using the Medici name to scare them into doing nothing about it. It's like, hey, oh. I'm with the Medici. Yeah. What are you going to do? Nothing. Hey, Fuck you. Medici. Yeah. Hey, yeah. And you give them the gesture. Yeah, yeah. Medici. Um, people, people, when they would rob them, people would say, hey, what's your name? And they would reply... Fuck you! That's my name! <laughs> yeah! So, anyway, yeah. yes. I was just going to say, Please continue. Piero, even though he's on his deathbed, he's got severe case of gout, he brings these ringleaders in and he says to them, look, quite simple, 
What would Jesus do? Jesus would not be a cunt. Could you please D back for me? <laughs> so he says, look, I, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to invite the heads of these families back in and let them deal with you. Because once they find out what you've been doing to their extended family, they will probably play tennis with your nutsack. And this threat worked. The uh, streets of Florence were safe once again, which is what the Medici had always been about. Stability, safety, let everybody get in on with their lives. And so until the end of his life, he was worthy of the name Medici, just as his father probably thought he wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, nobody thought he'd be able to do it, but he did it. He did. He was buried next to his brother Giovanni in the old sacristy of San Lorenzo uh, over his body and that of the uncle. His sons placed a sarcophagus made out of porphyry, ornamented and designed by Donatello's most brilliant pupil, Verrocchio, mm. the man who taught a little something by the name of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, yes. Around this time, they also uh, had a uh, they had Verrocchio uh, build a funerary monument for Cosimo for his crypt in the same church mm-hmm. too. So we'll have to do a show on Verrocchio later on too. Cool. And then that leaves Florence in the hands of twenty year old <laughs> Lorenzo de Medici, right, right, who. History knows as Lorenzo the Magnificent. Because of his hair. <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, he was pretty magnificent. I'm I'm pretty impressed with Lorenzo. Yeah. He's uh he's 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 an interesting character. Right. 20 years old. This is like Caligula. Yes. Taking yes. over in many ways, apart from the fact that he's not batshit crazy. Like Caligula, Lorenzo is born into royalty. Piero, when Piero was a child, when he was born, when he was growing up, his father was in exile and trying to be assassinated and was just a banker, really. Uh, So Piero wasn't born, he was born into wealth, but he wasn't born into royalty. He, later on in life, you know, I mean, he was was in his uh, teens, when Cosimo became the, the quasi-dictator of right. Florence. Yeah. His early, his formative years uh, is, you know, quite turbulent. His father was in exile, maybe mur- thought he was going to be murdered, etc., etc. But uh, Lorenzo was born yeah. royalty and he fucking knew That's it. Right. So uh, <laughs> 20 years old, he is the man is and mine. we will... Probably start to tell his story next time, I guess, on the Renaissance show. Sounds good. Because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. Have you made your decision for Christ? I have a poster of Jesus holding a Glock and it's turned to the side. There's nothing more inspirational than that, my friend.